Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Complete Sinner's Guide. This is a podcast where we, followers of Jesus Christ, discuss evil, sin, and temptation in the world today and prepare you to overcome with the Holy Spirit of God. All Christians struggle with some sin, and man, we are no different. We're no different here at the Complete Sinner's Guide, but simply we want to help equip brothers and sisters with resources, practical advice, and personal testimony that has helped us in our fight overcoming sin we begin a new series tonight called overcoming sin and temptation with me as always noah chalaya what is up brother hey how we doing good man so how's your week been since basically everything has kind of unleashed everything we we have certification of the uh presidential elect uh biden and so how's kind of things been for you during this time because we've had some interesting things happen this week haven't we yeah, very much so. You know, I uh, I actually, and, and we'll introduce Brad Schmidt here in a second, both of us have been having off-the-air off conversations about everybody's really talking about how terrible 2020 was for us. 2020 has been great. I mean, there's been a lot of really good, honest things that have happened, thanks to God, in 2020. And uh, I, I know there's a lot of people all around the world that are hurting and a lot of people that are dead. But for some of us, 2020 was a pretty good year. I think I say it all the time. Perspective is everything, mm. and in a in a real real sense, no, you're absolutely right. Because Romans eight twenty eight says God causes all things to happen to work together for good for those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. So even in the bad, and this is really 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 what I want to hit home on hit home tonight, is that even in the bad, God is still good. Period in the subject, and a good God, our God is working all things. Why? What, what, what is the purpose of all this? It's very, very simple. One aspect of all of this is to make us like Jesus. And we're going to be getting into scripture tonight. And pre- like I said in the intro, preparing you, the listener, to actually overcome sin. I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard about sin versus how many sermons I've heard about actually applying practical steps to overcoming sin, overcoming temptation, and, you know, we're not perfect. None of us are. And yet we have the Holy Spirit of God that is helping us and shaping us and molding us to be like Christ in every, every, every sense of that word. We have a new host, actually, that is uh, joining us for the, well, not for the first time. He's been on the show pretty regularly, but joining for the first time as the new co-host, Mr. Michael Chandler Keaton. Brother, what is going on, man? Uh, not much, brother. Just uh, living life, living life. Uh, the same struggles coming to all men, but uh, just trying to keep the faith and soldier on. Right, right. Now Noah said, you know, that 2020 has been awesome. How getting into kind of the second week of 2021? How was 2020 for you uh, personally? Like as as a Christian, seeing the things that we've seen, seeing especially in the last couple of months, how how all of these different things have played out. Uh, how's 2020 been for you? Well, on a strictly spiritual basis, I guess, uh, as a Christian, I, every day is a little better in, in one sense, because the more I dive into the Word, I feel like I'm just learning something new every day. And so in that sense, uh, yeah, every day seems to be a little better than the last. I feel a little closer to God in a lot of ways. But obviously, there are down moments for all of us, and 
sure. uh, coming from it, coming at it from sort of maybe a work standpoint. You know, our our work was affected by COVID and, and the ramifications of that. So we had struggles, and 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 then of course I became a little discouraged with some of the political things, and I just try to pray for for strength of faith and that, and, and understand that God is in control. Uh, so. I would say that, uh, you know, Noah, of course, is right. We're blessed every day, and especially here in the States compared to some other countries. But it is easy sometimes to fall into despair, and I, I did my fair share of that uh, in spite of myself in 2020. Yeah, I think that, you know, it shows the human side of us. I mean, we're all human. We all have weaknesses, and I think 2020 really brought that out. I know it did for me, you know, personally looking at things, you know, a lot of the, uh, a matter of fact, the pastor who baptized me uh, died from COVID this year. His name was Jeff Crow, and he baptized me five years ago, or roughly four or five years ago. And it was, um, you know, just to, that impacted me in a hard hard way but again like i said perspectives everything and in some way that event in my life is making me more like christ right and and so i'm blessed and i know jeff i know jeff is in heaven right now and i can't wait to get up there um and see him you know again so that's that's something that we all have to look forward to you know as christians as believers in christ that we will see our family you know again so it's that that gives me comfort right there that this isn't it right but we do have, and I'm super, super excited to have Brad Schmidt on. What is up? How are you doing? Hey, man. How are we doing? Good, bro. Good. So for those who don't know, like, can we get a little background? Like, who are you exactly? I know you're pretty, you are, you're pretty big name in, uh, in Grand Forks, right? So how, tell us about it. A little bit about How did you get man. started into broadcasting? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm a big name <laughs> anywhere, but but, but it's a, you started as a pastor. Yeah, so so yep. my so my kind of life story is I grew up in a in a small church in in uh, Ellendale, North Dakota, um, and at about the age fourteen, fifteen, or whatever, I, somewhere around there, I, I felt a, a call to ministry. Even at that point in my life. Um, Went through a a series of of rebellious behaviors, and I won't get into all the details of all of that. But uh, ended up, I was driving semi for a living for a while at uh, age nineteen, and I was involved in a in a car accident. Uh, well, a truck accident. I was driving a semi. I was and I was in an accident with a car. Uh, unfortunately, the person in the car lost their life, and I was convicted of negligent homicide because the accident was my fault. So. I uh, spent a short time in jail uh, because of that, um, was was uh, was in jail when uh, I had just gotten married. My I got married in, in uh, August of 1996, um, and my daughter was born in October of 96. And for those wow. of you that are doing the math, yes, that doesn't add up, and I was not living the life I was supposed to be living, and my wife was pregnant when we got married. But that aside, I was uh, I was in jail. I went to jail then. It was in... Uh, I believe it was March of 1997. So I was a brand new wife and a brand new baby at home, and I was sentenced to 75 days in jail. Um, was in jail, um, and for those of you who've ever been in a difficult position or a difficult spot, you start making bargains and deals with God, right? And so right. I uh, I started bargaining with God and and praying that God, you you know, if you get me out of here early. Um, I will, I will go be a pastor like you told me to. Um, and I heard very clearly and I don't hear booming voices from heaven. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't an audible voice, but I heard very clearly from God, the response. Um, well, how about you spend the full 75 days like you're, like you've been sentenced and then you go be a pastor like I told you to anyway. 
And and so I said, all right, well, I guess, you know. And so the uh, I called my wife that night actually from the jail and I said, how do you feel about moving to Nashville, Tennessee? She said, well, that'd be great. Why? I said, well, I'm going to go to college there because there's a Nazarene college there and I'm going to go be a pastor. And uh, she said, okay, how do we do that? <laughs> didn't even argue, didn't question it, nothing. She's like, all right, fine. I guess we're moving to Nashville. And so that took place on the 51st day of my incarceration. On the 52nd day, the very next day, I get a note from the judge uh, to come over to the courtroom. And he said, look, um, you've completed your community service. You've been a well-behaved prisoner and all of that kind of stuff. Pack your stuff and go home. I got out the next day. Um, oh, wow. And so um, called my wife and said, you got to you got to come get me and you got to hurry up because I don't want them to change their mind. Um, and so she called my mom because she wasn't even sure how to get because it was like a four hour drive from our home to where the jail was. Um, so so um, she called my mom and my mom and her um, jumped in the car and, and started driving our, my direction. And then I get a call from my mom uh, right before they were ready to leave that. Um, her father, my grandfather, had passed away that day. Um, and so we left straight from the jail and went to my grandfather's house for his funeral. Um, and that weekend, I found out, um, we started talking about some of this stuff. I found out that um, my great-grandfather, John, was a pastor and actually started the church that my grandfather attended and my mom attended as a kid. Um, I had several uncles and other various family members that were involved in ministry in one form or another that I had never really known much about. I'd heard it, but I'd never really thought much about it. Um, so then I, I went to Bible college in Colorado Springs in 1998, uh, graduated in 2006. I jammed four years of college into eight years of actual life. And uh, it was a it was a struggle, but I got it done. And uh, and, and so um, graduated college in 2006, moved back to Laramore, North Dakota, and took my first church as a pastor there. Pastored there until 2011. Um, resigned from the church, and and because of the age of my kids, I didn't want to you know uproot them and move them across the country and find another church or whatever. So I just kind of took a pause on the ministry. Um, in the meantime, I I became friends with a person who was running the Christian radio station in town, and I made a comment one time. I said we should start a talk radio show, um, a kind of a Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible Answer Man meets. Rush Limbaugh, and we should do a talk radio show like that. She said, that's a great idea. You should do it. I said, well, I don't know anything about radio. You're going to have to do it. Um, and she said, well, I'll teach you. And so um, we started doing or, or, or trying to figure out how to make that happen. And she then unfortunately passed away tragically um, due to medical error. And so after she passed away, I thought I should probably pursue this a little more. So I started looking into how to do talk radio. And the next thing I know, uh, March 17th was of 2014 was my first day on the air with my own talk radio show. And so now here I am just about seven years later. Uh, I've done podcasting with Noah and I've done radio now for almost seven years. And, and uh, I've tried on some levels to, to, to make that happen. You know, Rush Limbaugh meets uh, Hank Hanegraaff. It's not always worked out well, but I've right. kind of become my own personality and I think that's even better. So. Right. And so that's, man, just first off, what an, what an amazing story. I mean, just back to back to back, it seems like you experienced so much, you know, it seems like, you know, so many blessings from God, like I said, yeah. back to back to back. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, spending time in jail, I've been there, you know, not, 
I mean, for, mine was a DUI, but been there, you know, done right. that, and and it's horrible. Like I hated it. I hated myself in there, and and I can just imagine, imagine what you were going through at that time. You know, many people has went through that exact same thing. Others they'll never experience it. You know right. what I mean? Um, well, so, a, yeah. You really, I just would say that you, 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 a person cannot comprehend how terrible jail is unless you've been there. I think we all have ideas of it before we experience it. Uh, and some people that have never been think and it doesn't sound that bad and but I, whoever devised the punishment of of imprisoning people that was one of the just one of the i mean it does the job it's supposed to do it makes you never ever want to go back it's absolutely right. miserable to be away from your family and everything you love yeah and it it here's the other kind of part of all of that i mean that was kind of a long story to get to where we are um but the reality is there was about a million other moments in in those sure nearly 20 years of my life, well, actually almost 25 years of my life now, um, that where God moved in miraculous ways. I, I mean, I've seen, I've seen people healed of cancer um, in, in miraculous, unexplainable ways. I've seen God do amazing things in the lives of my, my children and my family and my friends. Um, and and the, 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 the outpouring of grace upon my life in the last, well, I'm 45 now, but it's certainly in the last 25 years has been um, such that that I have I have no no reason to complain about anything probably for the rest of eternity. Right, and and grace is so important. Just real quick, I want to get I want to I got a story that you know you said you mentioned Brad that you've seen people healed of cancer, right? And my cousin, this happened probably three months ago. My cousin, he went to the hospital. He was having problems with the medicine that they had put him on, and it wasn't reacting right uh, with what, you know, the way his body chemistry was all set up. Anyway, long story short, while in the hospital, they found a mass in his abdomen. Um, they swore up and down, you know, just by the x rays, just by all the tests that they run in that night, you know, without getting a second opinion. Um, but just that night, they determined that it was cancer, right? And so he went in. They prepared for emergency surgery the next day, okay? They go back in the next day, get ready for surgery. This this lump, it's gone. They, they, they literally look at the x-rays. They look at all of the tests. They see the lump. The next day, mind you, twenty not, not 24 hours later, it's gone. <laughs> and we were praying for him, you know. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know exactly what all he experienced, but he called me about, I think it was two weeks later because I hadn't heard from him. I didn't know. The only thing I knew, he went in, you know, to the hospital and he was having surgery the next day. We tried calling, you know, we tried finding him. I mean, it was crazy what we went through those two weeks, but we finally heard from him. That's whenever he told me the story. And just to, you know, hear that, the point of all that was to say experience and knowledge are two completely different things. If you mm -hmm. have not experienced something like that, you have no idea. I mean, you can you can kind of wrap your head around it, maybe, but until you experience it for yourself, it's just it, it's it's kind of like the numinous. You know, you don't know what to expect, but it's amazing whenever you do, right? Yeah. So, so Noah, uh, real quick. I mean, I know we're kind of getting into testimony stuff. Just, I mean, we're what has God? Just out of curiosity, brother, because I know you have a really really close walk with Jesus. What is something God has blessed you with personally just within the last couple of years? You know, I, I have a good answer to that question. I recently got involved with a, with a newer church. 
Mm-hmm. Um, started working part time yeah. IT at a at at uh, at, a, at a church called Hope Evangelical Church. And the, the thing that I find so refreshing about that place is, you know, you can walk down the leadership hall, and there's people in leadership that have come from Catholic churches, Lutheran churches. I mean, actually, I guess I don't know for sure if there's anybody from Catholic, but it it doesn't seem to matter where what church you grew up in or where you grew up. If you have, if your focus is on Jesus and you're willing to submit yourself to the authority of the Bible, both Old and New Testament, they just want to build the body of Christ, and they do it in crazy, ridiculous, generous ways. And so, having an opportunity to be a part of that team has been really fantastic. Right, and I actually got the pleasure of experiencing that whenever I came up to North Dakota. Like Noah took me to that church and to meet the pastor, and just to experience that again. You know, it was just amazing. So thank you, brother, for for that. I, I really, really appreciate it, man. So let's let's get into it. Like I said, great things have happened over the past, you know, few weeks, over the past few months, over the past few years to all of us, right? Horrible things have happened, right? I want to start in, in in kind of just how how do we how do we deal with these things? One, and what do we have to look forward to? Fair enough. So let's start with Ephesians 2.8. It says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his creative work, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand so we can do them. Right? And Michael, I know, I know Ephesians is basically your, your, bread and bu- your bread and butter. So, Will you kind of just go in, explain, kind of exegete what's going on here? And really where I'm going with this is this all starts with the faith that we have been given, right? This all starts, the Christian walk begins with faith in Christ, right? And so from that point onward, can you kind of just explain what's going on here and how we apply that to our lives? Well, in Ephesians, you know, Paul, he he starts out by letting us know, that what he's doing, uh, he's doing by the will of God. Uh, Christ sent him as an apostle. He's an eyewitness to the risen Lord, and he's been through miracles and the word he's proclaimed. You know, he's been sort of authorized as a uh, uh, as an apostle of the Lord. And so, when we get uh, as we walk through, and he talks here, he's he's letting them know. He's letting his his uh, the people he's writing to his audience know. You know, we've been chosen as a body, like like Abraham, where we're in a covenant, especially love verse six, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, is what uh, the King James uh, says. Chapter 2, he's explaining a little bit uh, when he starts off telling them that uh, you he hath quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And I think this is a perfect example of grace here, because he's saying you were something else. And what he's done is he's created you new. You were dead in trespasses and sins, and he made you alive like a corpse almost unclean and offensive in God's sight. And not just lacking something, but, but being actually totally outside any type of relationship with him in that sense. Uh, and then he explains a little more when we get to, to what we're dealing with. Uh, he's let, he, he really gives that the passage that we're covering. He, he, he just comes into the explanation that, that de- describing the believer's union, for by grace are you saved. And of course, I'm reading from the King James through faith, and that's not of yourselves. And he's sort of letting them know, right, you're dependent. This is because of God. This is something amazing that he's done for you, right? And and this is God's love, that he's done that for you. It's not of your works. It's nothing that you can uh, boast about. 
uh, but we're his. We're his workmanship, uh, created in good works. And he, he ordained that we should walk in those good works. And so this is just a really good explanation of sort of uh, the kind of gospel message that a, a, a Protestant uh, evangelical would, would explain to someone. And Paul sort of encapsulating it here. Uh, you know, this is God's grace. This is what he's done for you. Uh, it's not of you. And at the same time, the message there is you're not on your own, right? Like we're in Christ. We belong to him. We're his by grace. And uh, I think that's possibly one of the most comforting passages in Scripture. Yeah, absolutely, man. And thank you for that, dude. So so basically, and now, in layman's terms, right? But no, Michael, I, I appreciate that. For by grace you're saved through faith. This is something that is, you know, I I think supernaturally, you know, put in, right? We get to experience the fruit of that faith through belief in Christ and through that trust in him. And that, you know, the apostle goes on to say that it is a gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. Why? Because if we're honest with ourselves, and, and Christians know this, we, we've all talked about our past on this show before we know that we're full of snakes, right? And yet God has still given us his Holy Spirit to not only not only forgive us of our sins, but to purify us of those things that we now hate, right? Because I don't know, I mean, I know with me when the first experience of being born again was that those desires that I used to have, and Brad, I'm sure you can relate to this as well. It seems like you were born again a little bit later in life. But those things that we used to love, we now hate. We now despise them, right? Can you relate to that at all? Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because just today I was on a job site. I, I do construction on the side, and I was on a job site. was talking with uh, one of my coworkers because there's another crew. We're building a house, and right across from me is another crew building a different house. And somebody over there was smoking. And I smoked cigarettes for probably 10, 12 years. Um, and was a, a pack and a half a day smoker. And I was standing there and I smelled the smoke from the cigarette kind of waft across onto our job site. And I looked at my coworker and I said, ugh, I said that, that smell, it, it literally makes me sick to my stomach mm -hmm. to like, I feel nauseous from the smell of cigarette smoke. And it's not because, you know, I have some allergic reaction to it or anything like that. It's just that it's become so offensive to me. I can't, and not that like, if you're a smoker, you're going to, I think you're going to burn in hell for all eternity right. or anything like that. But like, it right. just, it, it was something that God so turned me off to that. I, I just, I can't even stand the smell of it. It literally makes me sick to my stomach. So let me ask you this then, because I do still struggle with smoking, right? I hate smoking mm -hmm. I, and this make, might not make any sense to anybody, but I hate it. And yet I do it at the same time because you know, the addiction and, and, yeah. and to be honest, there's a part of me that wants to, right? So let me ask you this, Brad, what did you do? Like, how did you practice? Like, what steps did you apply to kind of quit smoking to kind of help, you know, get reach that goal? Because I'm, I'm looking for it, man. And I right. know there's a lot of people out there. So what did you do? Probably the, the, the biggest thing. So the, there's a, it was an herbal remedy thing. I, it was, I think it was called smoke away or something like that, um, that helped take away the cravings. Um, as far as th that side of it, the, like the physical addiction to it. Um, right. But the physical addiction was actually the easy part. It was the, it was the emotional, you know, or, or uh, psychological, spiritual addiction, whatever you want to call it, um, that was the bigger struggle. And, and for me, that was, that was just accountability, making sure that I was around as many people as possible that were going to hold me accountable. And 
So I've always talked about sin um, being a kind of a three-pronged thing. Every sin we commit um, is, it, it breaks one of three relationships. It breaks our relationship with God, our relationship with our neighbor, or our, our relationship with ourself. And most of the time, it breaks all three of those. So for me, I felt very clearly that God had told me that I should not smoke. It was bad for me, whatever. And so I saw smoking for me as a sinful behavior. And so if if I was going to smoke, I was breaking that relationship with God. The other thing I was doing is if if I continued to smoke, I told my wife that I shouldn't be smoking and I didn't want to smoke and, and all of that. And so if I came home smelling like smoke, I either had to lie to her and break that relationship with her and tell her I wasn't smoking or blame it on a coworker or something like that. Um, and, and then the third thing was it was breaking the relationship with myself because I was going to end up, you know, eventually with emphysema, lung cancer, you know, COPD, whatever the thing was. So for me, it, the, the thing that helped the most was the accountability, making sure that I was around as many people as possible and tell as many people as possible. If you see me smoking, call me out on it. If yep. you see me buying a pack of cigarettes, call me out on it. If you, and, and giving as many people as much permission as possible to call me on my behaviors to, to prevent me. So I had to do it in a way that I was hiding from people. I was constantly, right. if I was going to smoke, it had to be a secretive thing, which made it feel even more right. inappropriate for me. Right, exactly. It's because you're going out of your way now at this point yep. just to, you know, you know, have a cigarette or whatever. And it's, it's a, just this the kind of a silly side note to yeah. to kind of put it in perspective for people, the silly things that we as humans do to hide our sin. I, I was in Bible college at the time and I was still struggling with smoking. Driving home from class from my theology two oh one class and having a, a stack of theology books on my on my car seat in the passenger side and I'm driving home smoking a cigarette and I would take my jacket and cover my books because it was it was I don't know if it was embarrassing that like here's these books of theology that I'm supposed to be this man of faith and I'm still smoking a cigarette or if I was like trying to hide from God or what. I don't know what the mental thing, right. the stupid thing that was going on there, but I would right. literally, I would take my coat off and I would cover my books so my books couldn't see me smoking, as silly as that sounds. <laughs> That's amazing, man. Like, and But you're right. We all do little things yep. like that. You know, just, I mean, I know that you know, me and my wife, and, and just real quick, just real quick, it's so important what you said, I think. The two main things I think that will help anybody do anything, if you're trying to stop doing anything make sure people hold you accountable, right? And you got to have friends that are willing to do that. If you're not, if you don't, those right there, that leads right into step two. Yep. Those right there are the people you need to get away from. Like yes. you have got to remove yourself away from the people that enables you and, and doesn't have a problem, so to say, or doesn't judge you, so to say. No, have be held accountable by as many people as possible. I think that's a great idea, Brad. Yeah. And second, get rid of the people in your life that is causing you the harm, that is enabling you and enabling your addiction. Right? I, I really hate the, the saying, oh, don't judge, don't judge. Actually, that's not true. The Bible actually tells us we're supposed to judge. Yes. We are specifically called to judge those within the body of Christ. Now, not outside. That's different. Right. That's a different discussion. But those within the body of Christ, so you and I and Noah and, and Mike as believers, our, we are called specifically to judge each other. Um, if, in, in, and there's some of a caveat there. You're not, you know, not judging to be judgmental, right. but judging for the purpose of reconciliation. And, and, and by and, the way, judging is not like, hey, this is what you're doing wrong and see how much worse you so, are than me. Right. It's, it's, yeah. it's about coming together and saying, hey, I'm not trying to push sin in your face, but at the same time, uh, yeah. it, 
this is what we want to do. And you, I tell everyone, hey, I, I think that you should see the example of Jesus in my life. If you don't, I'm probably doing something yeah. wrong. Yeah. And so perfect example real quick, you know, for those, I mean, we, and we see this in practical, like this just happened last week. We change the meaning of words, amen and a woman it was a perfect <laughs> right. example of that. And which for those who don't know, and, and Mike and, and everyone who knows Greek at this point, anyone who's taken first year Greek knows this, that amen in Greek has nothing to do with man and woman. Anthropos is the word for man in Greek, and it means mankind, man, human being, all these different things. Amen actually means verily, truly, so let it be. So whenever every time you see Jesus saying verily, verily, I say unto you, he's saying amen, amen, I say unto you, has nothing to do with gender. Right. Anybody want to comment on that? No, other than no, it's, it's, this is the, this is the, 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 the bastardization of language is, is yeah. what we're, we're seeing. And it's, in, it, it, don't, don't let anybody fool you. It's intentional. These, yep. This kind of thing is, and and regardless of politics, this is this is an intentional effort. If we can if we can water down language, we can water down people's understanding, and if we can dumb people down, they are easier to control. Right. And that's yeah. that is simply a tactic of the enemy, and I don't mean politics. I mean the right. enemy in in Satan. Michael, I would just say to Brad's point there. Anyone who doubts what Brad just said, go online and just look up letters. Uh, I don't know what you would even type into a search browser, but look up letters that were written by kids uh, back in the early 20th century or earlier and just see the language they're using. Our intellectuals don't even use language like that anymore. So language has really, uh, for lack of a better term, been dumbed down, and there is no doubt that's been intentional. Yeah, I think language used to be an art, right? I mean, I, it used to be something to be proud of, like, and now... You know, at first it started with slang. It seems like, and but but you're right. It is the intentional dumbing down. It, it's it's more to me. It, it it it's almost as if that like, we have so many words to express different things and express different ideas. Right. But one of the things that you 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 see happening is any time we have a discussion, there's there are there are organized groups that insist on setting a consistent language, and then you have to use those terms. And if you have any doubts about that, simply look at the latest pandemic. Right? Yep. We right. don't call it locking people in their houses. We don't call it shutting businesses down. We call it social distancing because that's a it's a better euphemism right. for the for the things that we're doing and it masks what what is what is actually happening. Now I'm not suggesting that social distancing is a bad thing or that we shouldn't right. be wearing masks. I'm not not getting right. into any of that, but I am suggesting that again there's a, there's there are instead of individuals thinking for themselves as to how to describe their perception and their feelings and their understanding Instead of doing that and then questioning and having 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 time to reason with one another, instead of doing that, we fit a couple of narrative. We set up a couple of narratives and a couple of talking points, and then we just banter back and forth like fools. So, mm. Noah, you just touched on something, and I'm not even sure you realized you did it. You you talked about this this concept of a common language. Mm. Like we mm -hmm. all have to have this common language. We all you have to use the same language. Does same that words. sound? Does that sound familiar to you anywhere? It does. The almost. Tower like, of Babel, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. God mm -hmm. said, "Hey, this is not good. We need to make sure we're we're going to confuse the languages." Mm -hmm. And 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 I that's I think I don't want to say it's a misnomer, and I don't want to get into the exegesis of all of that. But the, right. it wasn't that God wanted to prevent people from communicating with each other. That wasn't the purpose. Well, they weren't doing His will, right. and so He wanted to thwart their efforts. Right. It, it was. It was. An, it was. It was to prevent this. This common, not a common, 
understanding of evil so we can all do evil together and be to right. yeah right. so it's it's a long story and there's a whole lot more to it that we don't have time to get into but sure. it's it's interesting that you use the idea of common language as being problematic because gee 6000 years ago <laughs> turns god, out it really was god told yeah. us that was problematic right and and it is you know and that's the thing i think that has happened in this country that we have to start fighting for we have to start fighting for objective truth and that truth comes from god's word the same problems that we had 6000 years ago like noam brad just pointed out are the same problems that we have today right god knows what we need god is good and god loves us right and, and and we say it all the time, yet people don't seem like they believe it. Why? Because their actions say different, right? But the point is that all of these things, right, all of these things are for purpose, right? I, I, I truly believe that. And, and, and with... And with all of that being said, you know, with, with, with God, you know, thwarting the will of man, like, like Noah just pointed out, like God is working a purpose in all of this. So there's no need for anyone whose faith is in God, whose faith is in Christ to start getting afraid, right? Because there's nothing that surprises God. God is all knowing. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. God is everything in every single way, like that our minds can't even comprehend right and it just it, it gives me so much comfort in a world that is literally going nuts that that they are saying that you know <laughs> that the brad again brad and noah pointed out so beautifully that all of these little things that are happening the the dumbing down of the language literally that's happening right before our eyes right amidst all of that god is still in control and in the end god wins go ahead I like to say that uh, this universe is never on autopilot. Mm. Right. Yeah. Good point. Man, we Noah. I how much? I, I hate to ask it. How much time do we got, bro? Eighteen minutes. We got okay. So we're good. Um, if we can, I don't. I really don't want to get off on politics. I really, really don't. <laughs> but that is such an inner. I mean, it's so. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Right. It's so crucial. I think it's so relevant to what's happening, right? Would you guys agree? Yeah. Let's start here. Yeah. We have to decide on an ultimate authority, right? Right. Okay. So for those of us that are in this room, we would say the ultimate authority is God. God. So I am fine with whatever political decision society wants to go to up and until we reach a point where... What I'm being told in, that is acceptable in politics is no longer acceptable by my ultimate authority of truth. And so I don't, if, if, if you come to me and say, well, it's politically correct to say X, Y, Z, you can say that. That's fine. I just don't want to be told that I have to accept it. But in 2018, in 2019, in 2020, in 2021, we are increasingly skating towards a political society in which you have to accept the major worldview and the major worldview has we've passed the point now in society where it's acceptable to say, well, I don't agree with that because the Bible tells me that that's not correct or that's wrong. I can't use that argument. I can't use that explanation anymore because we've decided it's culturally unacceptable to cite religion as a reason. Right? How many times have you seen right. that shirt or or the saying or the meme? Hey, it's religion is like having you know genitals. It's fine to have it. Just you know, don't take it out in public. Don't talk <laughs> about it. Don't show it to me. You know that kind of thing, right? As right. if it's something I'm the, the thing that defines my life, the thing that that literally I want to center every decision I make. That's the thing. 
that I'm supp- somehow supposed to hide from everybody else in fear of offending somebody. I think right. that I think that really touches on what we just got done discussing earlier. It goes back almost you can see it in language. Tolerance used to mean to tolerate. It meant there's an obvious disagreement here, but we're going to live together in harmony if we can. That's no longer what tolerance means. Tolerance now means I don't agree to be your neighbor uh, no matter what you do, but I must affirm that what you do is good. That's what tolerance is now, and that's where it becomes a problem for the Christian. Well, and the other the other problem with with all of this, the, you know, the, the, we've been hearing a lot of talk about unity. We've got to come together in unity, and unity, and unity. Right. And the reality is, they're not. They, again, coming back to the bastardization of language, they don't want unity. They want conformity. Those two things are mm. not the same thing. They want conformity. You have to conform to our view of the world, and if you don't, then you are being a a divisive force. Well, sometimes division isn't bad. Opposition isn't a bad thing. The 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 concept of the opposable thumb, if you don't have an opposing th- force by using your thumb, you can't pick anything up. Try grabbing a cup of, of, mm. of soda or a, a can or a, 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 a handle of a suitcase without using your thumb. It's nearly right. impossible. And as we as you, you can take that one step further, almost if you when when you think about. When you think about uh, about. When in history you've had uh, you've had think people and organizations and or time periods where people have done horrific things, what would it have looked like had there not been opposition? And so uh, anyway, how, how, you know, with without dragging the episode into in, into politics, Tyler, I guess where I would come to with that or why I ask that conversation or why I use that question to set it up is once sure. we've decided where the ultimate authority lies, then we have a very clear line in the sand as to when we need to start getting concerned. But if you look around modern society, we should probably be a little concerned. Islam is one of the fastest growing religions uh, in the world. And in I've been to the UK a couple of times. There are there is a measurable portion of the world's population now that believes that Christianity is you're you're silly. It's like believing in Santa Claus. Right. Right. And and so as that becomes culturally less and less acceptable, it is going to be more and more difficult for us as Christians to go out into the world and to not only act Christian. That's easy to do. Right. The problem, the, the thing that the, the rub is it's on us to make sure that people don't just mistake us for being nice people. It's right. on us to make sure that they understand that the gifts that that they're given and the grace that they're shown is from Jesus. And that's why we give in his name. That's why it's so important that we that yeah. th- that we model ourselves in that way. And and to right. tie it to tie it all back to faith, when when we when we understand who rightly who the proper authority is, we then know who to apply who appe- who to appeal to for grace, for mercy, mm. for assistance, for providence, um, for, well, anything that we really need to survive. Right. Let me, if I can, just for a second, let me play devil's advocate, because I think you both touched on a, on a really interesting point, is this question of ultimate authorities. So if I can play devil's advocate, um, how do so how do christians then because here's the thing i think we live in an echo chamber world i think that a lot and 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 again a lot of this is self-accountability i think but we've gotten cold in our reading of god's word we've gotten cold and just just the tradition of christianity itself i can't tell you michael michael can relate to this i know 
is that if we have a conversation with somebody about church history, they have no idea what we're talking about. They think it ends with the apostles and begins at the Reformation, and it doesn't. We have a lot of years of church history, so it's part of that self-accountability. But and, and and so we we get in a habit of hearing what some famous preacher says, and we end up repeating it over and over and over again until somebody has an argument for it that just buries it, and we don't know where to go from there. I've ran into that problem myself. So if I can, then what makes Christianity different? What makes Christianity more true? What makes the Holy Bible more true than the Quran, for example? So. The the simple answer is is because Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship. Um, I've been asked several times. People have asked me, "Well, how do you you seem so confident about this that you believe that God created the world in seven days and you believe that Jesus died on the cross and all this stuff and you seem so confident about it? How how do you know that all this stuff is true?" And I say, "I know sure. because I've experienced it." Period. Not because, not because I read it in a book, not because somebody convinced me. That one of the worst things you can do to try and bring someone to faith is try to convince them on a logical basis. Because there's nothing logical about a man who died on a cross, was dead in a tomb for three days, and <laughs> mm-hmm. was raised to life again on the third day. There's nothing logical about that at all. But there is something supernatural about there that. There is something there is. supernatural about it. So now we can talk about logic as it relates to behavior. We know that God is sure. a very logical God as it relates to behavior. A lot of the... Even a lot of the Old Testament laws that we think are somewhat nonsensical are actually really quite logical things that we should be doing regardless of what we believe about God or religion or anything like that. So the, right. the simple answer is Christianity is not, a re- is not a religion, it's a relationship. And I know that's kind of a platitude and, and a cliche or whatever, but... It, it's true. I mean, things become cliches yeah. for a reason, right? Well, let me let, let me play devil's advocate to that just a little bit. So if if we were going to just base it on logic, let's say we took the supernatural out for a moment and we yep. were just going to go with what's statistically likely. Yep. Okay, so that leaves us with really just a handful of religion. Hinduism right. has been around for about 2,300 years. Right. But Christianity really stems from Judaism. Judaism, right. while it is only 23, 2,400 years old that we know of, well, the practices, no, practices ju- go back thousands, almost 4,000 years. Judaism is yeah. probably about... 10 to 12,000 years. Right. But documentation goes back about, I think, 23, 2400 years is the oldest documents we have. It was oral tradition prior to that. Well, yeah. okay, fair enough. So 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 Judaism goes, we don't know when Hinduism started, so I guess we can't do a complete comparison. But we know that people were practicing. We know that people were were practicing Hebrew or or whatever the term would have been back then. Uh, 4,000 years ago. And so you have, so, okay, so we're starting there and we say, let's, if we followed all of these, all of these individual religions and came up, what you'd find is that the oldest one, that the, the oldest claim to God has a couple of things that are unique about it. First of all, that you can, ha- you as an individual can have a relationship with God. Second of all, there is only one true God and that God is responsible for everything in the universe. And so you follow that through time. And through time, what you've seen is, the either the Hebrews or the Jews or whoever it was that was following this one God that was supposedly the one and only true God, the longest one that we know about all through time. Gee, my gosh, it always seems to work out for them. And so when they go into battle, it seems that that's the God that hands victory to his enemy. And and over time, there's a consistent track history of everything in these scriptures Mm. being proved true over and over and over again. And then you Mm. get to the birth of Christ and the birth of Christ becomes this this explosion, everything mm. surrounding the birth of Christ 
is a brand, right? The star that, that led the two, the, the wise men, the, the, the birth of Christ himself, the name, the cross that he died on. I mean, every little detail of his life has been studied, restudied, uh, expanded upon, elaborated on, made into to, to products and things. If he was a human being, and I don't believe that he was, but if he was, he would have to be the most successful human being mm-hmm. to, to ever influence people in the history of mankind. And if he mm-hmm. and, and, and then you start to look at what the evidence was in his life, because the reality is people will die for for what they believe. But nobody dies for what they know is a lie. Right. So sure. if you're the apostles and you're going around, they know the Romans are not exactly known for their for their uh, their right. quick deaths. Right. Yeah, they just watch their they just watch their their guy mm-hmm. get murdered in one of the most brutal ways possible. And then they immediately yep. go running out. So here's the thing. They do exactly what you would expect people of normal thinking rational self-interest to do run and hide oh my gosh this is terrible we're not doing that and so what changes why do they change Mm. direction because again you have to think about you 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 step back and look at the thirty thousand foot view god puts all puts humanity on earth and all of a sudden we're marching towards this terrible fate and so god says i have to do something so he sends his son there's a specific point in time where this works and there's a specific point in time where this stops working you have to have enough of an established government that this idea can carry on that the next tribe just doesn't wipe everyone out and then that's it that's the end of the gospel right so it has to be established enough but it can't be so established like it is today to the point that you'd have news media and you'd have vlog you'd have vloggers and bloggers and all this other stuff the mess that the actual message would never get out it would would just be drowned in noise, right? right? So he picks the exact point in history where this thing can take off like an atom bomb. And so the what previously had the longest reputation or, or the longest track history of being an accurate religion was just people that were following uh, the, yeah. the Jews. Now, all of a sudden, again, if there's a different Messiah that the Jews are still waiting for, be really interesting to see who's going to make a bigger boom than Jesus Christ. Right. Right. Well, and and I mean the other part of it too is reading the Gospels. These guys wrote these books and, and or, or documents. They're not really books, but they wrote these documents documenting the life of Christ and their their own adventures um, right. mm-hmm. uh, in with him. And they don't come out looking so good. Like right. if, if you were writing the story of a religion. Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to tell everybody how, how, how terrible you were and how badly you screwed up? And, and I mean, that's and how you right. got, and how you got spanked by your leader when you, right. when you went out and said, Hey, I want to be on your right and left hand yeah. side. And then you don't, right. you just don't write those things down. No. So that, that lends more credibility to their, to their writings and stuff as well. But to, to kind of come back to, to the discussion of, of whether why is Christianity right or, or better than, than any other religion or whatever. Um, the, it, in my opinion, the simple answer is, like I said, that it's not a religion, it's a, it's a relationship, but even beyond that, it is, it is the one religion that you can truly experience mm. individually without any help from anybody else. I mean, how right. many times have you heard the story of a person who's never been to church, never been in, in mm-hmm. any sort of relationship with God, has never even, really, never even heard the story, but one night they're in a hotel room because they got a hotel room to meet their mistress in to cheat on their wife, and they right. find the the uh, the Gideon Bible in the drawer and start mm. reading John out of, or reading out of the book of John and 
and falling on their knees and giving their lives to Christ. I mean, it, that, that doesn't right. happen with the Quran or, or the other thing. As far as logic goes, though, to, to come back to that point, one of the things that you'll notice about nearly every religious book in the world um, it, it, versus the Holy Bible, because you asked about that as well, sure. uh, Tyler, is the, the, was the Bible, that, that the, the Bible, as you read from Genesis 1-1 through the end of Revelation— you, you get this sense that there's this God who created the world and everything was going pretty good for a few days. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, Adam and Eve have their screw up and that, you know, sin and death enters the world. And it becomes this very violent kind of experience, not just not God being violent specifically, but there is some of that as well. I mean, we see him. Uh, order genocide of the of the um, Amalekites and some of the other things, sure. and, but you see this kind of very violent experience. But even intertwined in all of that violence and all of that craziness that went on with the Tower of Babel, the flood, and 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 the you know Father Abraham had many sons, and all of those things that we learned uh-huh. about in Sunday school, right. and even intertwined in all of that, there was always this this hint that there's a better way, there's a better plan. It's just stick with me. I've I've got the solution. I'm, I'm working it out. I'm making it happen. And all of these things come. And then along comes the end of the Old Testament. It's 400 years of silence. Mm. And, and if you want to understand what 400 years of silence is, stop for just a second, stand in the middle of your living room, walk into the living room where your family is or, or whatever it is that you're doing in your group of friends and stand there for 400 seconds and don't say a word and watch how uncomfortable everybody gets. If you want to understand how, how badly 400 years of silence was. And then along comes this guy. Wearing a coat of camel hair, eating grasshoppers and being all weird, <laughs> comes comes along and says, There is the one. That's yeah. the guy. The yeah. the the kingdom has arrived. And they use this language, this kingdom language, and all of the Jews all across the world knew exactly what he was talking about. The kingdom has arrived, the kingdom is here. And then Jesus comes along and and we we see all of the miracles and the things and and there is this move away from the violence to this this new covenant kind of language that we all as Christians understand but nobody else gets cuz it's just weird <laughs> and old language but like the, along comes this this new language of hope and and freedom and 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 uh, escape from captivity and all of the things that we've all as human beings have been longing for our entire lives that that happens and that is the experience and then it ends with not only was this hope that we've watched for the last 4000 years 6000 years come through now Jesus arrives and we've got this hope and we've seen what it looks like but it ends with this idea of hope continuing yeah. Not just into the future for a couple hundred years or a couple thousand years, but into eternity. In perpetuity, there is hope as we end the Bible. And now, if you look at every other religious book in the world, n- nearly, and I won't say every, nearly every other religious book in the world goes the opposite direction. Yep. It comes from this idea of, of love and joy and peace, uh, you know, peace, love, and dope, and all of that kind of happy hippie stuff. And right. then it, re- it, it devolves as, as people re- start to reject the teachings of whatever of the, of the, these various religions, as people start to reject it, it turns into this this violent. You have to do what I said, or I will crush you. Yeah. Out. Oh, we said it. Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Well, I was just 
I was just thinking that I would add to the, uh, you know, what sets Christianity apart, because it's long been an atheist chestnut mm. uh, that well, all religions are basically the same, or we're both atheists, I just believe in one less religion than you do. And there's a sense that uh, they sort of put out there that religions are, one religion is as good as the other. But I think one of the really unique things that sets Christianity apart, maybe the central thing, is that whether you're talking about Hinduism, Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, Islam, you know, whether it be uh, heaven uh, or whether it be uh, nirvana or a better reincarnation, it's about if you obey, if you do good, if you do the works, you can get the ultimate reward. And Christianity says, no, this God is so holy, so righteous, so other that a sinful person like you cannot bridge the gap. But in his great love, he has made a way. And all that you need to do is believe and place your faith in him and his work. Well said. Well said. Well said. With that, we are out. This has been the Complete Centers Guy. You can find us at www.completecenters.com. See you guys. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Christ? (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of The Complete Sinner's Guide. I had a blast making it, and I hope you benefited from it greatly. I just want to let everyone know that I love you so much, and thank you. Thank you so much for your continuous support of CSG. You can find all of our episodes at completecenters.com. Also, check this out. We have a new audio Bible segment over on YouTube. Monday through Friday, I post videos reading from the Gospel of John, so it's excellent for on-the-go individuals and daily devotionals. I am extremely active on Facebook, YouTube, and Parler, so I will post links to all CSG's social media platforms, as well as our own website in the description below. God bless you, and again, thank you all so much for your continued support.